Welcome in to News and Views with Tom Lamprecht. The stories you've heard and the ones you need to hear. Record high gas prices in all 50 states. The oil that we need, we have. It's in America. Baby formula shortage. Only four manufacturers of infant formula in the United States. Why I'm running for the Senate. We're going to win this campaign. Our border wide open. Beginning on May 23rd. Through this awful tragedy. Hate will not prevail. Your life, your values, your voice. This is News and Views with Tom Lamprecht on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. All right, welcome in. Our heads are chopped off if you're watching on uh, <laughs> Facebook or Rumble. <laughs> you need to adjust the uh, cameras there, Clark. Hey, uh, congrats to uh, those who won yesterday after uh, much... Uh, much, much, much uh, advertising was taking place. I guess there was um, a couple of surprises. Uh, by the way, Donald Trump, eh, he, he got one right, got one sort of right, and got one wrong. The one he got wrong, a lot of people saw coming. I I guess I was a little surprised. Madison Cawthorn lost. Bo Hines eked out a win, and Ted Budd easily won. You know, the three big uh, takeaways from the statewide or from the federal races anyway from yesterday's uh, election to me was the fact that Ted Budd won by so much. I mean, he got nearly 60 percent of the vote. Well, at least two and a half times what uh, Pat McCrory got, almost three times. Pat McCrory came in with 24.5 percent. Mark Walker came in pretty much where the polls said he would at 9.23 percent. But uh, the fact that Ted Budd won by so much was a little bit of a surprise. Madison Cawthorn losing wasn't a shock, but I I really thought he would lose, but I thought he would lose in a runoff. The fact that uh, Chuck Edwards beat him by almost two percentage points, uh, uh, one and a half percentage points, 33.4 to 31.9. And... As, as we've said on this program, and look, I know a lot of people hear Madison Cawthorn and they, they say, oh, he's, the, you know, he's a staunch conservative and he doesn't give you know, in, anything into the, uh, to the rhinos of the world. But he was his own worst enemy. Yeah. Um, and, and last night, I mean, he had some praises to, to give to Donald Trump saying that Donald Trump stuck by him in thick and thin. But at the end of the day, he also complained that this was a conspiracy against him. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't a conspiracy against you, Madison. You, you, you're an immature young man. You need to grow up. The things that you did and said are not fitting for a member of Congress. And, you know, and don't call in or email me and defend the guy. The guy was his own worst enemy. If he had, And this is why you know, it's, it pays to get a few gray hairs before you jump in and become a member of uh, Congress. Yeah, we, we talked about that, the age thing. I mean, you know, I, I'm not – I don't want to discount what young people think about things. I mean, if I, you know, if I was Absolutely a sitting, sitting congressman, I want to listen listen to their interests and their concerns and that sort of thing. But, but they have it, They don't have enough life experience yet, um, to me, to represent people no. in Congress, particularly and, with the fact that – I mean, let's face it. His experience is he worked for a campaign. Yeah. I mean, that's it. Just look back at where you were when you were 26 years old. 
Well, I did some stupid stuff, but I don't believe I remember crossing swords or jumping on my buddy's butt naked or anything. No, I know, no, no. <laughs> that was kind of weird, I thought. I, that is the most diplomatic thing I've ever heard you say. That, <laughs> that's all you would say. <laughs> yeah, the third, the third one um, that I was surprised was uh, Sandy Smith winning. Uh, sorry, Sandy. Uh, I know you listen to this program, but I, I frankly, with all the negative advertising, uh, and and her numbers, you know, from the polls that came out a few months ago to where the, where it ended up, she did cross the thirty percent mark. She was at thirty one point four percent. Sandy Rob- Robertson was at twenty six point seven five percent. Billy Strickland and uh, Brent Robertson both were just under fourteen percent. So uh, thank you all for running. I mean that sincerely. I, I, I know how much work it is, and I know you're exhausted, and I know you're probably disappointed. But I think it's a, part of a, uh, it's a part of our democracy, and for you to get out there and run and make yourself vulnerable, I think, is, uh, is good and significant. Uh, Dr. Oz, that, that race still has not been decided. Yeah. Um, Donald Trump, apparently, I don't know why, but Donald Trump said, oh, go ahead and declare yourself a winner. Why would you do that? Why would you recommend that? Yeah, I, I, Donald Trump loves to to tweak and loves to be on the edge, but uh, Doctor Oz has not uh, picked up on uh, that recommendation. Right now, Oz is leading. Well, when the latest numbers that I looked at, Oz was leading thirty one point thirty one percent to thirty one point eighteen percent, less than two thousand votes out of more than 1.2 million votes cast yeah and that's another race that's i mean basically got to have got to have that seat the, the republicans cannot afford to lose that u.s senate seat in pennsylvania and the you know the third candidate miss uh, was it barnett i believe yes um, yeah. I, I just think she had too many things that she has said that's, that's pretty controversial over the years um i just don't think she'd win in a general election so i, th- I think uh I think it was good that uh, it's coming down between Dr. Oz and McCarthy. Uh, is it McCarthy? Uh, it's not uh, McCarthy. No, it uh, is McCormick. 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 Yeah, McCormick. Yes. Um, so we'll see. Chairwoman Ronna McDaniel from the Republican Party said the thing that we're taking away from last night is, first of all, Republicans outpaced Democrats' turnout by 100,000 votes. It's the first time we've beaten the Democrats in 10 years in this type of primary situation. The other key factor is Republicans have outpaced Democrats in voter registration 4 to 1 since 2020. So I absolutely think we'll pick up Senate seats. We'll see. We hope. We think. I I would agree that, and and I would think that uh, she is headed in the right direction on that, that uh, they will pick up Senate seats. And and on the subject of... um losers and winners i just want to give props to uh former senator bob stein well i guess he's still the senator in north carolina senator bob steinberg from up in eastern uh, i think he's around edenton but right. uh you know they changed that senate district and now norm sanderson beat him in the new the new head drum, to head head to head and of course they ran they ran a clean campaign but bob was very gracious i saw on on his uh public post and all um and that's the way it should be yeah, yeah, it's unfortunate that you had two good men mm-hmm. having to run against one another. Yep. Uh, by the way, real quickly before we go to break, we're taking a break early because we're going to have David Walker on with us in a little bit here. But uh, Dow Jones, uh, boy, it took another nosedive today, down almost 1,200 points. And uh, how's it working out for you, Joe? You're screwing all of us. Sorry, 
but you are a four, almost a four percent decline today uh, in the Dow and and, and same, the, same thing in S and P and Nasdaq. I think was actually worse on a percentage basis. Yeah, actually S and P was a little over four yeah. percent. Yeah. Hey, we're gonna take a time out. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Ultra high inflation. And it's my top domestic priority. To ultra high cost of living. I know you gotta be frustrated. I can taste it. It pays to be ultra well informed. We're throwing money away like drunken sailors. I'm so pissed off. When you join the conversation. We're just printing more money, which adds to inflation, which destroys the American family. That makes me sick. What happens next happens here with Tom and Benny on Talk 96.3 and 1037. Welcome back in the late Walter Jones Jr. He is becoming more and more prophetic as time goes on. Yet his his one deal that he always was just infuriated with, and you know, he was a Ron Paul, Rand Paul fan, and he was a David Walker fan. He he despised the fact that our country was just mounting up more and more and more debt. The first time I met David Walker, he, he was down in Pitt County speaking for, it wasn't a campaign rally, I think it was a Chamber of Commerce rally. He was speaking, he was invited by Walter Jones Jr. to come speak, and uh, it was over at the uh, Brook Valley uh, Country Club. Mm-hmm. They had a, uh, an auditorium full of folks, and we had, a, a Sadie and I at the time had the chance to uh, interview uh, David Walker who served as the United States Comptroller from 1998 to 2008. He is a founder and CEO of the Comeback America Initiative. That was from uh, 2010 to 2013. Uh, David is uh, on the phone with us right now. Dave, welcome back to News and Views. Good to have you with us. It's good to be back. I, and as you know, I was the Comptroller General of the United States, which in English is Auditor General, Chief Accountability Officer of the United States. and God knows we need more of that. Well, you have compared the present-day United States to the Roman Empire in its decline, saying that the U.S. government is on a, quote, burning platform of unsustainable policies and practices. Unfold that for us. Well, we need to learn from history. We need to learn from others. and We need to take steps to create a better future. Uh, You know, with regard to the Roman Empire... Rome fell for a number of reasons. Fiscal irresponsibility, political incivility, moral decay, Hmm. uh, overextended military, and inability to control its borders. Do those sound familiar? Wow. Uh, Wow. You know, I I think we also need to understand that this country was founded on certain timeless principles and values, things like limited but effective federal government, individual liberty and opportunity, personal responsibility and accountability, innovation and capitalism, rule of law and equal justice under the law, fiscal responsibility and intergenerational equity, and stewardship. And we have strayed from those principles and values that made us great. And now I would argue the biggest challenge we have is what are the principles and values that we want to use going forward? Do we want to stick with the ones that made us great, or do we want to adopt social estate principles, which is what some are advocating for now? You know, I keep thinking that we're going to wake up, and yet uh, Benny and I were talking before we went on the air. There was a survey out, and the number one uh, issue 
trending right now on social media are these two lame brains, Amber Heard and uh, Johnny Depp, and their their uh, uh, court hearing. That's that's what everybody's concerned with. I I, I hear what you're saying, uh, David, but at the same time, boy, I, I fear that the masses out there are still in la la land. Well, that court case is going on uh, about four miles from my house, uh, and, and it just illustrates the fact that people are focused on the wrong things. Uh, we, we're focusing on, you know, short-term issues that are uh, involve celebrities uh, and or sensationalist-type activities, if you will, rather than the structural concerns that can affect all of our collective future going forward. Uh, and so I, I try to focus on the latter, not the former. And unfortunately, not enough people do. Uh, Dave, this has been good Good to hear from you and good to talk to you. Um, I, I, I met you about the same time that Tom did, maybe, in, maybe it was 2008 or 2009, back when President Obama was elected. And as I recall, the debt-to-GDP ratio then was in the 60s, 60 to 70. And you warned us, with the structural deficits of entitlement programs and things that uh, that was in our current system, you warned us what was going to happen, and it and and this exactly what's happened. But on top of that, now we're at almost 140 percent debt to GDP based on all this COVID spending and other reckless spending. To uh, to your point about, um, and I don't want you to play partisan politics or anything, but but we we obviously have one party now that says that, um, you know, Bernie Sanders said himself, things that once was considered uh, radical is now mainstream in, in that party. And it, uh, it, we're divide, divided more than ever. What, what can we possibly do to get someone to take attention to this? Well, first, I think we have to be honest to say that neither major political party particularly responsible for a number of years. The, the last two fiscally responsible presidents that we've had were Bill Clinton and George H.W. Bush. And we haven't had one since then. Uh, and, you know, I, I talked about back in 2008 uh, two things that we knew were going to happen. Uh, demographics, uh, the fact that our society is, is aging, the fact that we're having fewer and fewer workers supporting more and more retirees on a relative basis, rising health care costs, and the fact that a significant majority of the budget was now on autopilot, so-called mandatory spending. You know, the new four-letter word in fiscal policy, as you know, fiscal policy is tax and spending, is math. The math doesn't come close to working. And that's why I think we're going to need two things to restore fiscal sanity. Number one, we're going to need a constitutional amendment that limits how much debt that we can take on as a percentage of the economy and establishes a lower target to reach by year certain with automatic target triggers and enforcement mechanisms if Congress fails to act. And then we're going to need a meaningful statutory fiscal sustainability commission that learns the lessons from Simpson-Bowles, and of course, Erskine-Bowles is from North Carolina, uh, that learns the lessons from Simpson-Bowles, engages the American people with the facts, the truth, the tough choices, listens to what they have to say, and then makes recommendations that will be guaranteed a vote in Congress. Those are the two things that we need. 
If we get those two things, we can create a better future in America. If we don't, I'm concerned about our future in America. You wrote an opinion piece that uh, was published last week in the Washington Times with uh, Admiral Bill Owens. And you talked about the fact that it could come down to the fact that we might have to have a convention of states um, come together. And one of the things that you pointed out in this article, you say a recent extensive research effort of the congressional record disclosed that 39 states had applied for a convention to states to propose amendments, of which 30 were limited to only proposing federal fiscal restraints amendment under Article 5 of the Constitution. On the application of two-thirds of the legislature of several states, Congress will call a convention for proposing amendments. Despite receiving applications from five more states than required, Congress failed to call a convention. How do you uh, get these things to happen when Congress itself does not follow the playbook? They, they refuse to, to do what they're supposed to do, and yet they continue just to go happily down the, the, the lane and, and make up the rules as they go along. Well, first, let's talk about what Congress has done and what it's failed to do. What it's done is it has passed a law that assigns responsibility at the National Archivist, head of the National Archives, to be able to maintain records, count, and advise the Congress when three-quarters of the states have ratified an amendment. And the reason it's done that is because, as both of you know, We've had 27 amendments so far, and all of them have been done the old-fashioned way. Two-thirds of the House, two-thirds of the Senate pass a proposed amendment, and then three-quarters of the states must ratify. But the founders were very bright in many, many ways. They knew that Congress could become so out of touch and out of control, and or depending upon the issue, they could have such a fundamental conflict of interest that they might not pass needed uh, constitutional amendments, and therefore the states had the right to call for a convention of states to propose one or more amendments, not to rewrite the Constitution. And, and, and Congress obviously is really not interested in that happening because they have no guarantee that they'll have a seat at the table, and they lose a lot of power that way. So they've never asked the archivist to maintain records and to count and advise the Congress. Extensive research has been done over the last several months. I've been involved with it. We hit the number in 1979. We hit a peak in 1983. And now there are a number of efforts underway to either call a convention or potentially create a mandamus action led by the states that would ultimately go to the Supreme Court demanding that that convention be held. Now, the alternative is Congress can propose its own amendment. In fact, it's done that in the past in the, in, in the face of a potential convention of states. It did that for the 17th Amendment when we got within one or two states of calling for a convention of states. But they need to do something. Doing nothing is not acceptable. Yet at the same time, I mean, I, I'm on your side. I'm not arguing with you, but it is just a total frustration if they if they haven't done it up to now because the Constitution says to to do it. Uh, w will they obey the Supreme Court if you have a court case well, and the Supreme Court says you better do it? Well, first, I think that uh, in fairness, uh, they didn't do it 
in part because I didn't know, I don't believe they knew that the number had been hit. Now, they didn't really want to know whether the number had been hit, but I don't believe they knew the number had been hit. Uh, and, you know, reasonable people can debate how you keep score, right? Uh, in 1979, we had 39 states with either plenary applications, meaning they won a convention without limitation uh, of what amendments to propose, and 30 were limited to fiscal responsibility only. So some people will argue, well, you should only count the ones that are limited to fiscal responsibility only. Well, we've got constitutional scholars that say that's just not accurate, okay? Uh, but, but, the, but the key is, I really don't think they knew because nobody was keeping score. So the real question is, what do they do now that it becomes known that the number was hit? And, you know, when you cross the goal line, uh, normally you score a touchdown. Uh, and, and hopefully that'll be the case. We're talking to David Walker, former United States Comptroller General from 1998 to 2008. Uh, he is very involved in the fiscal responsibility and what we need to do to get to that point or at least begin to turn the ship uh, dave what, what do you say to those that say hey we, we can't have a convention of states because they'll just come in and maybe just throw the constitution in the trash can and start over i, I hear arguments from from time to time from well, those that me, say that yeah that's a good point thank you for raising that question um uh, first it's important to understand that it's a convention to propose amendments, one or more amendments. That's clearly what Article 5 says. It's not a convention to rewrite the Constitution. Secondly, there are several safeguards to prevent a so-called runaway convention. The first is that a majority of the state's applications for a convention are for a fiscal responsibility amendment only, which means that they have the ability to control the scope of the convention, because it's one state, one vote, and a majority of the states have limited their call just to a fiscal responsibility amendment. Secondly, uh, there are 14 states and counting that have passed state legislation that impose civil and potentially criminal penalties on delegates who try to stray from their charge. Uh, and also give the ability of uh, the the state to recall, uh, you know, those delegates, if you will. And thirdly, and, and you know, and the safeguard that exists for every proposed amendment, no matter how it originates, is that three-quarters of the states, which means 38 states, have to ratify what's proposed. And when you look at the political makeup of the country, the idea that you're going to get something radical done that's that's ratified by third, three quarters of the states is just not not plausible. Yeah, we've talked to Tom Coburn in the past, who's very involved with the Conventions of States project, and he has also said the same thing: that you're very, very limited in what you propose and what you can implement at a Convention of States. Are are you involved with uh, the same uh, organization that Tom Coburn's involved with? Well, first, Tom Coburn, may God rest his soul, passed away. Right several years ago, and he was a friend of mine, and he did a lot of work with GAO when I was controller general of the United States. The Convention of States is a separate group. The Convention of States is very well-funded, very well-organized. They've got a large grassroots organization. 
and I think they've achieved passage of their proposed resolution by about 18 states. But they're seeking three constitutional amendments as a package. Fiscal responsibility, term limits, and limiting the size and scope of the federal government. Um, My personal view is while I support fiscal responsibility and I support term limits, and I would support a reasonable limit on the size and scope of the federal government, uh, I don't think they'll ever achieve the 34-state requirement, which is two-thirds of the states, because the number one argument is people want a single-issue convention. Right. Uh, and, and as a result, I don't think they'll ever get to 34. Uh, so I'm involved with two different groups that are focused on a single-issue fiscal responsibility amendment. We want a proof of concept to prove that it can work, and then if you want to you know, propose other things, whether it be, you know, term limits, which I'm for, by the way, 12-year term limits, whether it be campaign finance reform, whether it be limiting the size and scope of the federal government, then so be it, as long as you can achieve the 34-state requirement. But let's do a proof of concept first before we end up trying to take a bridge too far yeah i would i would say that's a pretty common sense approach the idea of having a convention is of, of of states is hard enough but when you when you're throwing several things out there yeah you're gonna have you're gonna have a hard time uh, uh gathering the troops together to all fall in line david how can well, our Tom, fo- we, quite frankly we, we we need more common sense we don't yeah. have enough of it right now so thank you go ahead now, I was going to say, how can our people get involved? Is there a website we can go to to find out more information about what you're trying to accomplish? Uh, yeah, there, there are several. Um, you know, um, vote for, vote for BBA.org, uh, uh, I believe it is. Uh, you know, that's one website, if you will. But I think stay tuned, uh, because what I expect to happen within the next month uh, are several things. Number one, there's a concurrent resolution that's going to get introduced in the Congress that brings visibility to this, that says that Congress should set the date and place for a convention within 180 days unless the archivist determines within 60 days that the requisite number of states, 34, have not been met. Secondly, there's going to be legislation introduced that assigns the responsibility of the archivist to maintain the records and keep score with regard to any Article 5 applications, whether it be for fiscal responsibility or term limits or campaign finance or whatever. And thirdly, uh, I expect that not necessarily within the next month, but this year, that we're going to see action by one or more states that if Congress fails to act, to file litigation, uh, a mandamus action, uh, that ultimately would reach the supreme court uh if if congress fails to act is there a you mentioned that at one point there was 39 states that wanted this fiscal responsibility right. deal does that have a, a a time limit to it is there a certain period no. of time okay no there, there's not a time limit most of these applications say that they're in effect uh, you know unless and until the, the requisite number is hit Uh, And, in fact, the 27th Amendment took almost 200 years to ratify. So unless there is a limit 
that's in the application, then there is no limit. Now, there are certain states that have rescinded their applications. I'll give an example. New Jersey, in 2021, rescinded their plenary application. Um, and in rescinding their plenary application, they said the reason they were doing it is because plenary should count towards the three, the two-thirds of the state's requirement, the 34-state requirement, which we appreciate because in 1979, their plenary was part of that 39. And uh, as I said before, once you cross the goal line, you've scored. Hmm. And, and Congress should not be rewarded for failure to discharge its constitutional responsibility. Thank you. Thank you very much. So, so, Dave, if I understand you, it sounds like we, we should expect with this year either an action in Congress, resolution in Congress, or some type of action in a, in a federal court. Uh, I think you call it a, a mandamus action. Mandamus, yeah. Mandamus action. Uh, so you, you expect that to happen this year? Yeah, let me tell you what I expect to happen this year and what I don't expect to happen this year. First, as you guys know, this is an election year. Secondly, as you guys know, uh, one political party controls both houses of Congress right now. So what I expect to happen is I expect for the things that I talked about to be introduced in the Congress. I don't expect that they'll ever get a vote this year, uh, one, because of who controls the Congress and because of the fact that it's an election year. <laughs> Secondly, uh, I do expect that the, those actions will result in increased visibility uh, and, and hopefully uh, pressure on the Congress to ultimately do something. Uh, a mandamus action, in my view, is not likely until next year. But again, we've got a multi-step process underway uh, to try to increase transparency and promote accountability in this area because the future of our country is at stake. Uh, if you don't maintain a strong economy, you're not going to be able to re maintain, you know, um, influence internationally from the standpoint of foreign policy. You're not going to be able to maintain your military capabilities. Uh, and so the stakes are very high here. Yeah, and to, to that point, we're a superpower because we have been a financial superpower, plain and simple. Yeah. David, thank you so much well, for your insights. the indicator on the way up and down is economic power. Yeah, well, uh, you, you probably saw we mentioned before we brought you on the uh, the markets did not have a good day today, and they haven't had a good day for the last uh, month or so. Um, you'd mentioned that you expect a big announcement within this next month. May we keep you on speed dial so we can talk about it when that happens? <laughs> sure. Thank sure, you, David. Appreciate your uh, insights. Thank you for what you're doing. It is highly important, and it ought to be a bipartisan effort to – go in the direction you want to go and uh we can we can only hope and pray that happens last comment thanks tom and bernie and may god uh you know bless walter jones jr and may he rest in peace thank you sir thanks. we appreciate it stay with us benny and i'll be right back To news and views. Talk 96.3 and 1037. Welcome back in. 
The uh, disinformation queen, Nita uh, Jankowitz, uh, has resigned. She uh, sent in her resignation. What's interesting about this is there is an article in the Washington Post written by Taylor Lorenz. And uh, she wrote in an article that came out this morning, the disinformation governance board is being paused according to multiple employees at DHS, capping a back-and-forth week of decisions that changed during the course of reporting on this story. On Monday, DHS decided to shut down the board, according to multiple people with knowledge of the situation. By Tuesday morning, Jankowitz had drafted a resignation letter in response to the board's dis, uh, disillusion. But what's as you dig deeper into this whole situation, apparent, now, I don't think Joe gives any directives you know they wheel joe out and they you know give him an electric charge and he utters a few words and they wheel him back in yeah he just focused on his latest inshore but <laughs> or, ice, or ice cream cone yeah and uh but the biden administration told her shut up mm-hmm. would you please shut up quit tweeting quit sending out your mary poppins TikTok garbage you're making this all look like horses rear ends which they are but uh boy they uh they let her have it and uh you know the the one interesting thing about this is did you really think i mean did the morons in the in the white house really think that this was going to go over now i i realize and and i said it during our interview with with david walker it is such a sad situation that you've got more people interested in amber heard and johnny depp and that, mm-hmm. that court hearing then you've got an, an abortion in inflation in elections in the border situation the fact that our country is, is getting ready to i mean financially is is what the stock market is stock market is doing is that an indication of collapse or is it is it just part of the cycle uh i, I mean i'm not a guru i can't give you the answer to that but the fact that the people have their their head in the clouds so maybe maybe the Biden administration said because we know the head is in the clouds we can get away with this ministry of truth. But yet any, anybody that really has their their finger on the pulse of the American people, uh, you know, I, the fact that they thought they could get away with this. Well, it makes you, it makes you wonder if they're just all of this is just intentional dumb moves because it almost seems like no one can make such stupid decisions. I mean, you got now people that are that are a minimum left-leaning some just far liberal you take bill maher you take jeff bezos uh elon musk i mean they're all coming out just really just blasting the biden administration and i mean at some point you got to think uh are they really that stupid or is it that intentional you know are they just trying to wreck joe biden so they can throw another candidate in for isn't it isn't it interesting that it comes down to that discussion yeah i mean what we what conservatives are asking themselves and i ask it all the time i ask it to a numerous guests that come on here is the biden administration that corrupt that that much wanting to embrace communism or are they or are they that stupid? Well, it's like Elon Musk said. Was it yesterday, the day before? He'd like to know who's behind the teleprompter. Yeah. Whoever is running the teleprompter, that's who the president is. Yep. And I we got one more that. time out to take. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
no need to search for the facts. The fact is, it's, um, well, it's, it's, uh, it's uh, hold on. Let's see, they, uh, they gave me, uh. Just take note. Okay, it's, uh, one pound of ground beef, one egg. What is this? That's a recipe for, uh, for meatloaf someone gave me. That's nice. And check in throughout the day, here. Look. Uh, no, seriously. Look around. Did anybody see a piece of paper with my notes on it? For what's next, travel with us on Talk 96.3 and 103.7 with Tom Lamprecht. Welcome back in. Tom, Benny, and Clark. Taking a look at your weather forecast. Mainly clear tonight, a low around 67. Boy, the last couple of nights have been so pleasant. Beautiful. Low humidity and uh, clear skies and pleasant temperatures tomorrow partly cloudy a stray shower or thunderstorm is possible a high of 92 just a slight chance of rain tomorrow night again a slight chance of a thunderstorm friday a few clouds from time to time record high temperatures possibility high near 96 uh, friday night mostly clear with a low around 72 so uh, you like hot weather you're gonna start to uh, yeah and then we got almost a 20 degree drop a couple of days later i mean yeah, next Tuesday next is only Tuesday. Uh, high of uh, in the mid seventies. Mm-hmm. You know, as an interesting follow up to what we were talking uh, to David Walker about tomorrow afternoon, we're scheduled to have Jim Carafano on, who is a um, one of the gurus up at the Heritage Foundations. He has uh, written an article which I want to follow up on tomorrow, uh, dealing with that forty billion dollar Ukrainian package. And uh, what's really interesting about that package is some of the stuff that is in it. Um, the bill contains important spending that will bolster Ukraine's defenses. However, it also authorizes nearly a billion dollars in unlawful immigration benefits, a billion, mm-hmm. and roughly nine billion for things like funding Ukrainian government officials' salaries and pensions. Yeah, I mean, what are we doing? Pay it? We, I mean, we can't afford we can't afford our entitlement programs and our pensions in the United States, and we're going to pay pensions in Ukraine. I mean, I wish I'd asked uh, Dave, David Walker what he thought about that because I mean, it pretty much was rubber stamped by by Democrats and Republicans. Well, it's Exhibit A for what yeah. he was talking about. Mm-hmm. It just proves his point. Interesting uh, story in town hall today. The polling has been bad for Democrats, but now it looks like it might be worse than anybody thought. There was a leak in Punchbowl News concerning insider polling. In other words, the polling that the Democrats do on themselves. Now, you know when you do insider polling, you want to know the truth, but you're hoping it's going to be good. And they spent a lot of money on that oh, type that's, of stuff. Uh, that's probably one of the most expensive uh, items in their uh, checklist is uh, is polling um but this this leak has are they're using such phrases in this newsletter as uh democrats are quote getting crushed uh the information that they're receiving is particularly brutal house democrats might be in worse political peril than they've led on publicly according to the article uh, they go on to say Senator, or, or rather Representative Patrick Mahoney, Maloney from uh, New York has the thankless job of defending House Democrats' majority for the 2022 uh, election as the head of the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee. And uh, they basically are informing members of battleground state districts that they are losing 
47 to 39% against generic Republicans. So, Mr. Incumbent, it doesn't matter who the Dem- the Republicans are putting up, you're already behind. We don't even know who the candidate might be, and you're already behind. Quote, given that Democrats generally have a three- or four-point built-in advantage on the generic ballot, this is a particularly concerning development for Speaker Nancy Pelosi's majority. An eight-point deficit on the generic ballot could be a sign of a wave for House Republicans, which this is not the first time we've heard the fact that there's going to be a red wave. While it's possible Democrats are using these poll numbers to scare their members into doing a better job for November, their hopes for messaging don't look to be helping them. It's interesting. They go on to say that, uh, you know, clever Joe Biden took him six months to come up with this, but clever Joe Biden has uh, now embraced the phrase MAGA Republicans or mega Republicans, as Joe would say. And uh, he has called uh, Donald Trump the <laughs> ultra MAGA. Ultra MAGA king or something. And guess what? <laughs> Those people are embracing it. Yeah, yeah Trump has embraced it. Yeah. Just like he kind of hijacked the fake news from the fake news. Exactly. <laughs> the poll looked to 16 districts where Biden won by eight points on average. The president's job approval rating is underwater now by eight points. So basically, yeah, basically, yeah. Joe, you've got a you, you've dropped by 16 percentage points. Come on, man. And that is a mammoth drop. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, people think, oh, well, you know, it's, I mean, for an ex- in, in an election, if you lose by four percentage points at the end of the day, in a presidential election, that's a landslide. It is. But, you know, Republicans need to stay focused because all those polls, they can say all that, but you got to focus on race by race and be disciplined because they're going to spend a boatload of money. Just oh, yeah. like here in North Carolina with the uh, U.S. Senate race, she's got, what, $10 million in her in the bank right now? And Big so time. Big they time. they stay focused. Well, they got to stay focused, and uh, they've got to stay on message, and they don't screw up, all right? There's plenty of opportunities for the Republicans to screw up between now and November. Please avoid that. (laughs) Our thanks to David Walker, and uh, we look forward to being with you tomorrow at 5 o'clock. We'll play a little political trivia. Got a good show lined up for you then. We'll see you at 5. Bye-bye, everybody. All right, all right, all right.